Welcome to the Service Journal, the podcast that brings the stories of military service and leadership to life. Today, we're excited to welcome a very special guest, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Jose Luis Montalban of the United States Marine Corps and the president of the Association of Naval Service Officers. Lieutenant Colonel Montalban's journey in the Marine Corps started back in 1995, and since then, he held numerous key roles from leading, Marine, leading Marines in the Operation Iraqi Freedom to managing logistics for the Marine Forces in Japan. His career is marked by dedication, leadership, and deep commitment to serving his country. With degrees in criminology and national security strategy and extensive experience in strategic and operational roles, Lieutenant Colonel Montalban brings a wealth of knowledge and insights into military life, leadership, and the future of the Marine Corps. Today, he'll share experiences the lessons he learned, and his advice for future leaders. Join us for the conversation about dedication, leadership, and service with Lieutenant Colonel Jose Luis Montalban. I'm Manuel, Manuel Calo, your host, and this is the Service Journal. Welcome, sir. How's it going? Welcome to the Service Journal. Appreciate the time. Uh, we've been talking about this for, for weeks now, and I do appreciate it for being here tonight. Buenos dias. Uh, buenas noches para ustedes. <laughs> sí. A bit late. Yeah. Yo estoy en Japón, and uh, life is a little bit different because I'm uh, 14 hours ahead of you. Yeah. Pero muchas gracias por tenerme aquí, and uh, life is great. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I know that uh, having a Marine in, uh, in an Army <laughs> podcast different but i love it because it shows that uh, our join is and our desire to work together and that it doesn't matter what service you're in right uh we support each other we encourage each other and uh, we assist each other in our mission in nuestros sueños que es lo más importante que podemos hacer para nuestras familias para nuestros amigos y para toda la gente que nos mira y no busca y busca ejemplos para poder seguir but uh thank you very much and i just threw a lot of spanglish in you. <laughs> i know i know it's, no, I know. We're like trying. We, we're trying to bridge that, you know, between Spanish and English, and having that sweet spot, so so we can uh, engage with our Latino community and our non-Latino community. But again, sir, welcome, welcome to the service. Again, it's a pleasure and honor to have you in the, in my platform. Thank you. So uh, let's start with uh, for the audience. So let's set that stage. Like, who is Lieutenant Colonel Jose Luis Montalban? Can you? speak like i know uh you're from nicaragua but can you just start spending on who is uh back in the day uh and then all we're gonna go through your life until now yeah no so this is this is a great question when you say who who i am right and uh and i will tell you like right off the bat we're gonna go into different stories we're gonna go and talk about a little bit of experiences and this is just my beliefs and my thoughts my story but when it comes down to my story, it's not unique, right? It's, uh, it's shared by so many Hispanics and Latinos across the nation that uh, what I am about to share is just a little tiny grain of what everybody in this nation, when it comes down from, you know, South America, Central America, and and, and different, you know, different countries that they immigrated from, uh, experienced and they've been through, right? So who am I? I was born in 1975 in Nicaragua, Managua, Nicaragua. Um, you know, my, my mom, uh, I'm pretty big on, uh, education because my mom mm -hmm. probably went to first grade for a day or two. Mm -hmm. And then, um, 
you know, she they, we couldn't afford it. My family back then, my my grandma couldn't afford it, so my mom went back. They pulled they pulled her out of uh, school, and she went back making tortillas and tamales and acatamales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I come from a, a humble family, uh, as you can imagine, and due to certain circumstances. In, in 1987, the government was, you know, in revolutions and fighting the contrast and a bunch of other stuff. So mm-hmm. they decided that the best thing for me was to immigrate to the United States. And so when you ask who am I, I will tell you that I'm someone that comes from humble beginnings, uh, someone that is an immigrant to the United mm-hmm. States who naturalized, who pursued, uh, you know, dreams and goals uh, to make it to uh, to make it possible. Mm-hmm. and one of the ways that I saw it was through the through the military, right? And since then, I joined the Marine Corps in 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in as a private E1, and now I'm a lieutenant colonel, which only about 8% of the officer corps makes it there, gotcha. right? So who am I? Uh, I will tell you that that is who I am. My experiences are diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, what I experienced in Guatemala, waiting for my visa is really um, difficult to share, yep. but, but it is. Yep. And then going through Mexico and going through the Rio Grande. When I told people that I I, I swam the Rio Grande, I really was holding on to inflatable wow. tube yep. coming across, right? So, so, so I'm going to show you a picture here, sir. So uh, this is you back then. This is back in Nicaragua. This is your baby, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so that's, me. that's you back in Nicaragua. And then, like, can you, can you have, like, a little story on, on how that travesty went from Nicaragua down to the U.S.? I know it's curious to mention that you came from humble be- uh, beginnings, and it's great because, like, from that point, the, the humble beginnings to now, it's a big, you know, like, change in your life. Um, it was tough, of a tough process as an immigrant to come from the Nicaragua to the U.S. Yeah. No, my, my, you know, I will tell you this, that I had a little bit more than the average person, I would say, because my mom, at one point, because of hard work and, mm-hmm. and my dad has been working together, uh, they were able to get a little restaurant going and okay. and they had a little bit more money, right? But I remember that my mom would wake up like three o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning and go to the restaurant and start cooking. Uh, we had a sitter. Uh, and now I wouldn't even say a sitter, it was just someone that would watch us, right? And, and the house was the restaurant, so it was not like they were okay. gone, it was just, we were sleeping, right? Got it. Uh, so, um, but all I remember is my mom working really hard, waking up at, at three o'clock in the morning and working all the way through seven, eight, nine o'clock. And I wouldn't see her much except when she was at work, right? Uh, and, and that happened all the way through when I was 11, when they decided to send me to the United States. Okay. And the reason was, like I said, um, the contrast and, and the Sandinistas were going back and forth. There was a lot of fighting going on mm-hmm. and, uh, they were going to, uh, they sent a law or something and, uh, to inscribe and prevent kids who are boys specifically that were 13 or older from leaving the country. Okay. Right. So my mom saw that as an opportunity to send me to the United States to live with my aunt. Um, I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, who I now call my mom, right? Okay. And they jump on that opportunity and my mom spent a lot, you know, she sold jewelry, whatever she had. Uh, she sold, uh, she worked a lot longer. She, she, you know, she reduced the number of, you know, she had a couple employees, she reduced it so that she could get more money. My family in, in mm-hmm. Miami saved some money and saved more money so that they could pay for the trip, right? And uh, 
they decided that I was too young, so they were not going to send me alone, right? And uh, they sent me with my uncle. Okay. And my uncle, uh, so they needed to sponsor both of them, right, and uh, to be able to get here. We tried to do it legally through the embassy, uh, to my knowledge, right? Uh, that didn't play out well. We didn't get the visa, so they decided to go through um, a traveling agency. Okay. And we got on the bus, right, and uh, we never, and we never returned. Uh, wow. The bus wow. was going from Honduras and Guatemala to Guatemala. Okay. And we got off Guatemala, and we never returned. Oh, uh, wow. So, yeah. So that that was the the trip to Guatemala. But then after that, Mexico, there was. Um, you know, it's a it's a big country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of things going on. Everybody knows, and I, I've said it multiple times, right? Everybody knows that who's an immigrant, who's coming from, who's not from Mexico, who's not from Guatemala. And we, you know, we became targets. And, you know, oh, even wow. to this day, everybody oh, okay. knows, right? Gotcha. So they try to, they, uh, they try to take advantage of you or try to rob you or they try to, mm. you know, stab you to get the, the belongings. So mm. it's a really dangerous trip. Um, a journey mm-hmm. that a lot of people that are seeking a better life mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. So, like, I go back and say, I'm not the only one. Yeah. There's so many of us in this country and so many of us that are contributing to the economy, contributing to the mm-hmm. welfare yeah. and, and benefits that come with the, the future generation. Yeah. The most important thing is that we have a lot of us serving in the military trying to protect this nation that has given us so much. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's, it's a journey, but I tell you that when we get here, we, we do everything, anything to pay it back. Um, you know, not, not everybody does, but the majority of us yep. do that. And, and we fall in love with the opportunities, the liberties, yep. and, and everything that this country has to offer us. So um, that's one of the reasons I joined, right? But the main thing is I wanted to follow my dreams and my goals and I didn't have money. I wanted to travel. I didn't have money. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we do looking for a better future, and it never stops. And it's something that we always tell our kids. It's something that we tell our family members never to quit, and something that we try to pass down to our fellow service members, regardless of what branch they are. Yes, sir. So, so I think this is a great uh, you to share this, right? So there's a lot of ma- immigrants, right? They come into the U.S. Uh, seeking for that opportunity. Um, a, a lot of them, they just cross and, and start like trying to get jobs and, and follow their dreams. And you were able to actually follow your your dream by joining the, the Marines that we, we were going to get there at that point and, and what motivated you. Um, but we know the motivation, right? Because uh, you, you were seeking to travel. You didn't have the money. Uh, you wanted to be somebody. And, and that drove you to, to start entering the armed forces. Now, when you came to the U.S., you got adopted by Hialeah. I think this is something that you actually you mentioned. You're a, an adopted son from Hialeah, Florida. So speak about that. Like, okay, so you got to Hialeah. What happened? So, okay, so this is Jose Montalban so, in the new city of Hialeah, Florida. Speak up to that. Well, Hialeah, there's a lot of Cubans, a lot of Nicaraguans. <laughs> there's a lot of Colombians, right? So it's, it's La Ciudad Que Progreso, right? I love my city. Uh, you know, it's uh, something that I would never, I would never turn down, never, you know, I, I would never say bad things about Hialeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. For what I needed and for what everybody that lives there needs. And and it's a great place to grow, right? Uh, not necessarily um, the best wealthy place. It's not necessarily like the, the most beautiful place, but mm-hmm. it's what we need whenever we come from a different country, mm-hmm. right? So Hialeah provided me uh, a place 
where I could speak Spanish, a place where I could get some Cuban bread, un pan cubano. Un cafecito, chon, un cafecito, right? un cafecito cubano también. Bueno, que... Sí, de todo. <laughs> And uh, my, my dad, my dad, who I call my dad now, right? He's Cuban. Okay. So, you know, he, he you know, like the cafecito, la cortadita, todo eso mm -hmm. is things that bring me back. Whenever I see it, I take one coffee or I take pan cubano or, you know, pan con bistec and all those things. But it's what we needed, what I needed at mm -hmm. that time, right? So in there, um, there's obviously kids from different countries, different backgrounds, different thoughts. Um, but he allowed me to be able to communicate and allow me to feel comfortable. And at times a little bit too comfortable, right? Because he was... A, I don't know if I want to speak English because I, I speak <laughs> Spanish, right? Yeah. So yeah. why would I want to do that? But Hialeah like, is a city that welcomes everybody that continues to have big dreams, continue to assist the Hispanic community. Mm -hmm. um, it's a Hispanic community, to be honest. That's a city for Hispanics. And it has a little bit of everything. So I would tell you that Hialeah is... Is great for what I needed. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the people might think that it might not be, uh, but for me, in my perspective, it is what I needed at the time. And okay. it provided me a, a place to be able to grow um, and a place to be able to develop a little bit more and play mm -hmm. and, and feel comfortable as I came to the United States. Yeah, so I have a picture here about that moment. So speak us about this picture right here. All right, so that's uh, my first day in Miami. I had just landed. Wow. I love you, Val. Right? And um, <laughs> that shirt, I got it out of, uh, you know, when I crossed the Rio Grande, there was uh, in Bronxville, there was a little place where they would accept immigrants and they would give them uh, refuge, right? And, and they would give them clothes and they would give them everything. So they gave me that sweater. Nice. And that sweater, um, I had it, and I used to wear it every single day. Wow. Uh, and and it was because for the first time, that was the first thing that I received out of the United States. I didn't have much, but it was mine, right? Mm -hmm. It was mine, so I wear it every single day. And when I got to Miami, I was wearing it. And it was <laughs> hot, but I was still wearing it. And the <laughs> next day, it was hot, and I still wore it. And my aunt said, I'm going to get rid of this sweater. So whenever I was not looking, she packed it up and she threw it. Wow. And I cried and I got upset. And, and she was like, ah, fine. So we went to the garbage uh, dumpster and we pulled it out. Wow. I had to go through all the bags, but I found my sweater. And, uh, but I tell you that that is, that was my first sweater for a long, long time. I started uh, getting holes and, and uh, you know, you know, it was time to go. But, uh, Everything uh, in that plastic, plastic bag, everything that is in there is what I came with. Wow. Everything that is in there is what I crossed. Mm -hmm. That is what I came to the United States with. ¿Puedes uh, enseñarla de nuevo? Sí, sí, sí. Un segundo para aquí, la pongo enseguida. So, todo lo que tengo en mi posesión cuando yo llegué a los Estados Unidos está en esa bolsa plástica. Y yo sé que hay bastante gente que pasan y siguen pasando lo mismo que vienen de otros países y lo único que traen es, es lo que tienen en esa bolsa plástica. Y, y es bien difícil venir a los estados 
uh, no conocer lo que va a pasar, no saber lo que va a pasar. Y, y con uno cosas que son tan pequeñas que para nosotros nos valora bastante. Y esa camiseta que yo tengo es lo que yo apreciaba bastante y la usaba todos los días. Uh, pero todo lo que han pasado, uh, cosas como yo y que llegaron a este país uh, con una bolsita plástica, pero ahora están haciendo más de lo que pensaban o los padres llegaron con una bolsa plástica, lo comendo porque eh, tuvo bastante trabajo, eh, dedicación y perseverancia para llegar a donde están ustedes. Y, yeah. y te digo que aprecio todo lo que han hecho y, y sigan para adelante. Sí. Appreciate it, Serf. Uh, gracias por, por mostrarnos y darnos ese mensaje. Thanks for sharing that story because this is a powerful story on, on, on that t-shirt. Do you still have the t-shirt? I'm just like having a question. The sweater? No. I don't <laughs> have the sweater. Um, uh, you know, is everybody started making fun of me when, you know, in school and stuff like that. So I started wearing it a little bit less. Uh, but, It's okay. But, but it has uh, a significance. Yeah. It has a powerful significance. Tiene un mensaje poderoso, no? Because it was your first... Sweater in, in the, the U.S. and the, the dream you're, you're about to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then, okay. So once you got to the Hialeah, um, what what's next? So you went to the, you graduated from the Brotman Opportunity for Selection, Officer Selection and Training Program in 2000. Um, and then you are a Florida State University as well, uh, alumni. Can you speak about that, um, your your education once in the U.S., and then how you started to get interested in the armed forces? Yeah, I uh, I went to North Green Lake uh, Elementary School in uh, Hialeah. Then after that, I went to uh, Miami Lakes Junior High School, uh, or middle school, actually. And then I went to Hialeah Miami Lakes uh, Senior High. Um, amazing school. Is uh, I loved it. Um, You know, I ran cross country and track. Uh, you know, I played a little bit here and there. I used to go to the basketball court and do all that. But uh, uh, the school was was great. Uh, I had a great background when it came down to the teachers that were willing to help me out. I remember Miss Kelly in uh, middle school that she was really strict. And I couldn't understand that uh, until she told me that the reason why was because I was trying to fit in, but the most important thing that I needed to do was to maximize my intelligence and, and my, my smartness, right? And, and do the best that I could. And after she had that conversation with me, I started putting more emphasis in school, right? So she had a powerful message that I still remember like it, it was yesterday. Um, in high school, I had Coach Evans, Coach Speeds, and I had a couple of the coaches that always saw me for who I was, not necessarily for what where I came from, my background. And, and they did a lot of great things for us and they always worked on, um, on helping us, right? And encouraging us to, to apply for school and colleges and stuff. So they didn't it didn't matter what we did, but there was always an acceptance. Uh, Joe Hacero used to come in and coach uh, cross country with us and run, right? And he, you know, he always talked to us and he would encourage you to be better to strive and go to school um but most of us were immigrants right and we didn't have a stressing car we didn't have work permits we didn't have citizenship so for us it was kind of like a dream that was never going to happen it was not going to materialize but they kept on pushing us and they kept on believing and i think that that is why they most of us that were in those teams 
ended up going to, who were immigrants, right? Ended up going to Miami-Dade Community College, ended up going to FIU. And even though we couldn't get grants and we couldn't do, you know, we couldn't get scholarships and stuff, um, we pursued, for the most part, some type of education. Okay. But, um, and how difficult yeah. sorry to cut you off so so how difficult was with the language any language period at the moment uh, for the english and the spanish oh yes of course um you know i uh the accent right we were afraid and, and we were concerned because of the accent mm -hmm. um especially when you first get in here your accent is really thick, thick. Mm -hmm. um you know you're self-conscious people judge you because of the way you speak or mispronounce words so it was challenging and i learn to write a little bit better and better every day and i would try to focus on 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 writing uh versus speaking right so i went through high school most of the time without speaking and i would try to avoid as much as i could and i would answer what i needed to answer mm -hmm. but i was self-conscious on the accent i was self-conscious on how i was communicating so every time that i turned in a paper especially for english you know it, it would get destroyed Right, it was kind of like turning in your paper to the XO and it comes back all red. Yep. <laughs> so uh, that's how I felt coming back from the teachers, right? But uh, um, it was challenging. So, but most of the stuff that we did and talked, especially when we we're with the track team and the cross country team, we had a group of us that would always be joking around and speaking in Spanish and everything else. So it, it continued with, yeah, uh, they might make fun of us because of the car. You know, we got old cars. It's like 1994, but we're driving a 1972 car. <laughs> Uh, we might make fun because we have to run to, you know, five miles, six miles uh, to make it to the high school. But we knew that at the end of the day, we would get together and we would laugh and we would joke and, and it was fun. Uh, but the, the the high school experience was great. And I had the opportunity just because uh, I had coaches and teachers that encouraged me. I had the opportunity to pursue uh additional dreams by becoming more educated and continue to learn. Uh, Florida State happened uh, because I applied for uh, Marine, uh, Brian, like the, the Brian's uh, program that you were talking about, the boost, and uh, I was selected. I went to Rhode Island for boost, and then after that, it was not a guarantee for MESEP, but I had an opportunity to get MESEP, and uh, just the circumstances that were there, I ended up going to Florida State and okay. I got a degree in criminology. Uh, and the reason for that is just, I love, um, you know, wanting to be a lawyer and thinking about crime and delinquency and how that works and how that plays out. Mm -hmm. So I decided to pursue it, uh, a degree in criminology and I learned a lot through internships. Uh, I learned a lot through reading and, and how people think uh, on, you know, how those criminals did. Um, you know, what they did and how to prevent it and, and how to study it and how to do implementation to try to get better through the criminal system. So um, I loved it and, and it was a great opportunity through the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps gave me that. And I think that there's programs like that in the Army gotcha. as well, mm -hmm. uh, enlisted to officer. Yep. Yep. I know that we have those programs in the Coast Guard. We have those programs in the, in the, in the Navy. Uh -huh. and I think we have in the Army as well, right? Yeah, so so that was my next question. So, can you explain about the MISA uh, program for those who doesn't know about any uh, in their looking para lo que están buscando a Marine Enlisted Commission Education Program? So I will tell you, it's not just the Marine program, like we said, right? Now yeah. that I know that the Army has it, mm -hmm. if you're enlisted and you want to pursue your degree while on active duty, mm -hmm. there's like there's programs out there for any 
for most of the service, I think all the service have them, where they encourage our enlisted service members to apply for them. And if you qualify and you get selected, you're sent to go to college and yep. uh, open completion of college after either OTS or, or college, you know, like uh, for us, officer candidate school, you get to be commissioned, yep. right? Yeah, or our, you, that's another thing, right? Because they send you to college and you're attached to mm -hmm. a NROTC, our yep. reserve officer training corps mm -hmm. or a Naval Reserve Training Officer Corps yep. uh, unit in that college. And you get the college experience, you stay active duty, mm -hmm. But most importantly, you get your education and you get opportunities mm -hmm. that you might have missed because you couldn't afford it when you were 18 and you enlisted. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that I encourage mm -hmm. every service member that is listening to this, unless the service member that qualifies to to try. Mm -hmm. And I would say that if you don't apply because you're you don't think that you might be selected, your answer is already no before you even apply because you never apply. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the worst thing that can happen is that you spend maybe 10, 12 hours putting the package together, or maybe more. Um, but then after that, you get a yes or a no. And if you get a, a yes, you get to go to college and you get active duty years and you get to learn. And then after that, you get to have the privilege to lead our server and list our service members and be an officer in any of our branches. And mm -hmm. that is such a privilege and honor that, that you know, I encourage anyone to go after. Yeah, yes, yes, sir. Definitely, you you hit the nail on the head because like uh, every every branch has their own you know program like ROTC, the Green to Gold ROTC, for example, in the Army, and then the Marines, the Navies, uh, they have. So whoever is listening out here and then they want to look for these programs, they are available for you. Uh, I've been mentoring some enlisted soldiers, and I've been talking about these different programs. Sometimes they don't know about them, or they just like they're, they're ignorant to the to the fact that each branch has their own path to become an officer. Um, we're just trying to raise the awareness that there, there's possible for you to be in, from enlisted down to the officer side. I'm gonna show you a picture here, sir. So what's the significance of this picture? Another one. Uh, so um, this one is, I'm getting promoted, I believe to Lance Corporal in, in Okinawa. Okay. That's come forth. So this is, if I'm correct, is in 1996. Mm -hmm. Right, December 1996. So you see the date that's uh taken with a Kodiak camera. I've been in the Marine for a long time. Don't do the math, mi gente. Don't do the math right now. Te voy a decir 27 años, right? 27 años. But uh, this is uh, I went to I went to the same place just about months ago wow this is insane like 27 years later that's all I'm about to say because you're in japan right now it is so yeah, yeah, yeah. this is so crazy unique that in the you in the armed forces you can come back to a place you were 20 something years ago yeah and and i i you know and and it's funny because i went to that place i took a video of that building <laughs> and i i said that that is the building where i was when I made a decision that I wanted to to become an officer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to go take that picture. I wanted to go see that <laughs> because for me, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back, right, to Okinawa uh, unless I decide to take a trip on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I wanted to go back and say, after 27 years, wow. uh, look at what I've done and and just live in that moment, right? Uh, so, yeah, no, pero... So I see, you know, and and I'll say it in Spanish, not translating in English. Cuando nuestros reclutadores, no importa de qué servicio, verdad, van a hablar con nuestros padres hispanos, 
ellos siempre dicen, es mentira que ellos van a poder ir a coger una educación. Uh, es mentira que ellos van a poder ser oficiales, como dices, que hay oportunidades para eso. Es mentira que pueden ser enlistados, después pueden ser oficiales. Y esa foto, uh, y después vas a ver otras fotos, vas a enseñar otras fotos, demuestra sí. que nuestros reclutadores, no importa de qué servicio están diciendo, they're speaking the truth, right? So when they go and talk to parents and they're talking to them about, yes, there's opportunity for education, there's opportunity for going from enlisted mm -hmm. to officers, we tend to believe that that is not the case because our parents believe that hey, the service that we have right now is similar to the one in our, you know, what they experienced in our country or their grandparents experienced in their country. Mm -hmm. But we do have opportunity for education. We do have opportunity for enlisted to officer. And we have travel opportunities because other than that, I wouldn't be there, right? So, yeah, yeah it's for work. Uh, and I was TAD, right? And I went for lunch. And my lunch time was to go and take a picture of that pedal. Yeah. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's something that is is there and is true and it happens. Yeah, so so I have done the the, the same thing that, that you sir. So when, when I was a cadet, I remember back in 2008, I was a Air Force cadet. I, I did not commission through the Air Force, <laughs> but I was a cadet. Um, fast forward uh, 2019-20, uh, I was a captain, and I was in the same place that I was as a cadet back in 2008, uh, like almost like 11 years later, to, uh, 12 years later as a captain, uh, even the U.S. Army. Uh, but I know the sentiment. I know the feeling that you were in a place before, and now after all this path, it is great. It's good to hear that. Um, yeah. And then, okay, so you mentioned that you obtained your bachelor's in science and criminology, uh, but then how the the, the logistics sh shows you, like in the in the Marine Corps, because we know that you're a logistician right now. So how how that happened? Well, uh, you know, I, I grew up and every time it was my mom saying, my aunt, right, like who I call my mom saying, hey, make sure that you get a degree, make sure that you do something that translates back to the civilian mm -hmm. sector, make sure that you come back and, and, you know, and you're able to continue to get paid and, mm -hmm. and have a good job, right? So when I went through, uh, I went through uh, the basic school in Quantico, you get an opportunity to highlight And, and rank all the jobs available and you go mm -hmm. one through whatever number it is. And my number one was uh, logistics, right? And I wanted to do that because I always have my mom in my background, my, my background in my head as well, telling me, hey, make sure that you get a degree that is going to get, help you transition, make sure that you get a job that is going to help you transition. So I decided to go after logistics because I thought it, There's always logistics, there's always jobs, there's always companies that require logistics. So I'm going to go after that. And he also provided opportunity for, you know, for uh, command and opportunity to travel and opportunity to be a staff officer and opportunity to do all the things. So I decided um, number one was logistics. And then after that, because of the grades and the way that I fell out in my rankings, I had the opportunity to get logistics and, and I'm happy with it. And And I've done a lot of great things with logistics. I've traveled. I've, I've uh, done theater security corporation and worked with partner nations. Mm -hmm. I work with other militaries from other countries, right? Uh, Cambodians and, and uh, Malaysians and, and uh, military from Bahrain and now in Japan and, and people, you know, military from Qatar or Qatar, you know, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things that have come up uh, mm -hmm. through logistics. 
than in the selection that I made back then. So mm -hmm. it was uh, it was a great opportunity. Yeah, so and still definitely and and you're right sir so when we choose our jobs i always i always tell my my soldiers like hey trying to select something that translates to the civilian side if if you want to do this for three years and then get out from the armed forces make sure you take all the experiences from the armed forces and translate in the civilian sector logistics is a broad like you know aspect like there's many logistics jobs out in the in the civilian sector um so we encourage always that the everything you do in the armed forces translate to your civilian because at one point uh we're gonna we're gonna hung the the monkey suit right so we have to retire and then we have to make sure we get all these values from from the armed forces yeah but uh i will tell you that i will throw in something into it right mm -hmm. and i will add to this right and, yes, sir. and this part of our responsibility as mentors um I came in thinking that I was going to get out after four years. I'm okay. at 28 years plus and I'm yep. still going. Right? Yes, sir. So no one in the time, they always said, hey, work it through, expand and, and you know, like something that transition. Mm -hmm. But nobody talked to me to a certain degree as to if you go infantry, the chances of becoming uh, a general officer increases, right? If you go combat arms, the chances of you becoming a general officer increases, or the mm -hmm. chances of you being a sergeant major increases. Mm -hmm. So as we're going through, we got to also provide that opportunity and that knowledge to our soldiers, Marines, Coasties, sailors, right? That there's specific things because we're still uh, a military, yep. right? As we're going through, yes, we might get out and need to transition, but at the same time, if we're thinking or even have the idea or the the dream or maybe you know getting to 06, or getting to E9, or getting even hired, right? Being uh, the senior enlisted for the Army or, uh, you know, the senior enlisted for the Navy and stuff. Uh, those things need to also play out because there's also a path. Mm -hmm. And even though we can say logistics transitions, the, the chances is that there's not that many logisticians, general officers, mm -hmm. or E9s going around being the Sergeant Major or the Marine Corps Sergeant Major of yep. the Army. Yes, sir. So we got to offer those opportunities as well for them to understand that those paths that that you might pursue uh, might not get you or yield you those highest rank mm -hmm. that comes up within the military because there are specific things that that require for them. Yes, sir. Definitely. A again, um, so each each rank or each uh, branch or or job they have their specific path, and you're totally right. Um, for example, like the infantry. And I'm not gonna I'm, I'm gonna re-mention what you said. So infantry has uh, the, the the most more possibilities to be a, a higher ranking officer in the in any other mm -hmm. rankings just because it's the nature of the job, right? So I think what mm -hmm. the person has to do, or the soldier, the marine, or the navy, the sailor, or the airman, they have to look on what what do they have to what's their path? How I want to engage yeah. this? Um, I always teach that hey, just look five years forward. Every five to ten years, like long range plan because like plan changes right but at least you have to your 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 short plan and then you have your long plan established and then you mm -hmm. can actually have uh different plans along your career yes completely agree with you um so i'm gonna show you another picture picture time for you so to speak to us about this picture well that was uh i don't remember why i took that picture but i was <laughs> uh a corporal as you see the chevrons on the right hand side right and mm -hmm. uh I was just, I don't know how the photographer got me to smile, but there's <laughs> okay. some pictures that are 
formal pictures that I get to smile. And one of them are, you know, it's on the board of directors webpage where I'm smiling. But I usually do not smile for uh, for formal pictures. But uh, something was going on that day that made me <laughs> smile. Okay. And, uh, I, I have it and I still keep it. But that is from, I believe that's 1997, 1998. So it's, it's a while back. Is it? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do the mad. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, so 27 plus years in the army. So 1996, I was graduating from elementary. That's why, that's why I could go back. But it's okay, sir. Uh, okay. So you commissioned in 2002 uh, as a second lieutenant and then uh you did a lot you started to do a lot of stuff in the in the marine corp as a logistician so what was your first duty station um uh, in the marines as a second lieutenant and how was that experience for you so the first duty station was third battalion second marines out of uh camp camp of june north carolina and they told me when i was going through log school logistics school if you want to find out what you're made of and you want to see if you're going to be able to make it as a logistician, you go to an infantry battalion. So I requested and requested and requested, and uh, I got fortunate to go to 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines to support the infantrymen and, and uh, everyone in that battalion that we ended up going to Iraq with. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so uh, I was, um, you know, we, we did convoys, we did... Uh, you know, we supported combat operations. We support a bunch of things. And, uh, but I found out that, you know, you, you gotta be on the ground. You gotta be with your soldiers, Marines and, and coasties and, uh, sailors, right. You gotta understand what they're going through before you start like going up through the ranks. So that way you take it and, and get gain an appreciation of what they go through, what, how they risk their lives to protect this country. And, and I tell you, I learned a lot and, uh, and some of my, you know, fondest memories is from that deployment, right? It was dangerous. It was, you know, it was combat, but uh, the officers, you know, got together and they they would support each other and they, they they would do everything, anything for each other, right? And one time, actually not more than one time, almost every single time, mm -hmm. you know, we're going on convoys and I would go talk to the infantry company XOs and I would say, I need weapons on my on my vehicles, right? And and they would give me as many weapons as they could. And every 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 vehicle had a machine gun. I don't remember a time that any of our combos didn't go out with, you know, a machine gun in every vehicle. And, you know, then obviously we needed to clean it and stuff. But they never, never pushed me away. They never said no. And they were always there for me. So it's some of the fondest memories, but obviously because of the situation, uh, not because of, you know, of... Uh, of some of the experiences, right? Because we never want to be in combat. We never want to be in those situations, but the relationship that we're built because of the situation are, are still there. And even though we don't talk as much with everybody, we, we, we follow each other and we, you know, we, we make some comments on and off about pictures and videos that, that, you know, that we share. Yeah, so so any any key leadership lessons that you learned that you want to highlight uh, out of the that deployment from Operation Iraqi Freedom that you want to sh uh, share? Yeah, um, I would say that one of my biggest lessons was collaboration. Right, we need to work together to be able to accomplish the mission. Uh, at times, right, our, we get our, we let our emotions get in the way. We get uh, a little bit of our pride, our, our you know, a little bit of our ego, regardless of what rank you are, officer enlisted. 
But most importantly, we got to remember that this is not about us. It's about a team. And and I learned that, right? It's all about each other. And regardless if you're in combat or not, collaboration and cooperation and assistance is really critical to be able to accomplish the mission and to, most importantly, to help each other out to, to better ourselves, right? If we help each other out, we get to help someone else to progress, to go to school, to to get college degrees, to you know, to to achieve different ranks and dreams and help with their family. So uh, it expands with it beyond the military, uh, the collaboration and cooperation that we need to be able to provide to each other. And I will tell you that that's probably one of the biggest things that I learned is the human factor. Uh, love each other, treat one, treat everyone with dignity and respect as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And whenever that doesn't happen, because you let your emotions get in the in it, don't be don't be stubborn and and go back and say I apologize. I I made a mistake and I let my whatever situation impact me. And mm-hmm. and I want you to know that that's not me and that's not what I want you to remember by, remember me by. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm sorry. Just don't be big enough to say I'm sorry. Yeah, and and then one one thing as well. I think once we we wear we wear these uniforms, uh, we are one big brother and sister, uh, you know, family. Like, doesn't matter you're Latino, you're black, you're white, Caucasian, whatever the case may be. At the at the end, we are fighting for one cause, right? And then we all fighting together as our brothers and sisters. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and yes. that, that yeah. So um, now, so for the deployment, uh, now you transition to to be the executing executive executive and operation officer for recruiting station in Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico. How was that experience for you? Now becoming a uh, in that recruiting duty station for you. Well, they told me once again that if you wanted to find out what you were made of, you go to recruiting. Right. <laughs> uh, right. So. Guess what I did? I, I said, okay, sign me up. I want to go find out what I'm made of. And if this is probably the most difficult tour that is going to be there, I want to find out. Right. And I went to be the uh, recruiting operations officer and executive officer in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and then, you know, 10 years after I left that tour, I went back to be the district operations officer for the Sixth Marine Corps District. Mm-hmm. So I got two tours of recruiting in my background. And, but most importantly, you know, I uh, help our recruiters and uh, post their messages and post their stories, um, you know. Um, but I will tell you, it was uh, really difficult. Uh, it was a difficult tour. Everybody knows, right? Everybody in the service is like, I don't know if I want to be a recruiter. <laughs> but I can tell you that I go back and 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 some of the experiences and, 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 and lessons that I learned during recruiting mm-hmm. still carry on to this day and mm-hmm. beyond that, right? Wow. It helps me become more personable. It helps me relate to people a little bit more. It helps me listen to people a little bit more because they teach you how to listen instead of just running your mouth, right? So there's a lot of things that come with recruiting, but most importantly, I will tell you, regardless of whatever branch it is, it might be a challenging mission, especially now, but they're making a difference. And they're changing people's lives they can find in the service. So I'm a big proponent for anyone, regardless of service, to go and give it a shot and go to recruiting. You're going to be tested. You're going to have long hours. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you might not feel comfortable speaking to people, but the change that you're going to have in people's lives and the change and the contributions that you're going to be providing for your service is on parallel. And, and, and if you do it to the best of your ability, you will make changes for the service and you're going to 
you are going to assist the services achieve their their mission in the long run because we need people and we need talented people in our service. Yes, sir. And and then my question to you then, um, what was the main challenge that you experienced during the recruiting sta- uh, on that duty station? And then uh, what do you think, what was the recruiting, what strategy proved to be most effective to recruit um, so Marines, to recruit people for the Marines? Yeah, so the biggest challenge was we went from you know, a standard mission to a mission that was probably twice as high because we were going into the increase of combat operations, right? So we we had a spike of people mm. coming in and we needed that. And that's during the time that I was the recruiting XO and OPSO, right? So the first day that I walk in is the day, I think it was like within the first couple of days is the day that we get notified that our mission just went up twice as much or whatever it was. I can't remember, right? But I know that it went up. So um, the biggest challenge was adapting to that, adapting to the long hours and, and being able to understand that there was a purpose to working those long hours. There was a purpose as to making sure that we made the mission and finding the best qualified or the qualified individuals to go in and be screened and, and um, you know, and basically uh, giving them the opportunity to become a Marine. Uh, so a lot of us, we worked, right? I did not, and I will tell you that I worked hard but I can tell you that our recruiters on the streets, our staff in CYCs work mm-hmm. harder. Mm-hmm. And and they challenged and they met every challenge. And even though sometimes I push them and I know that I got them upset as the officer, uh, as the operations officer, they're not a day that I don't thank them because without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at, right? Those two tours uh, as the district officer and as a recruiting station officer and XO, um, my success is not my success, it's just a portion of it, right? It's my success is contributed because of the results of those staff in CYCs and, and, and Marine recruiters on the streets. And I thank them every day for everything that they do. And, and regardless of branch, I would say thank you for what you're doing because without them, we don't have the military that we need so that we can protect our country. So if you're in doubt uh, to become a recruiter, I would say don't. Uh, it's going to be difficult and you know that is going to be difficult, but the change and the opportunities you're going to offer are one once in a lifetime. And I'll tell you that you are going to see the benefits. So don't be hesitant, go and help our recruiters, um, you know, and uh, by either volunteering or assisting them. But if, if nothing else, right. But if, if you had an option, don't be hesitant to get out there and, and become one of our recruiters on the streets. Yes, sir. So definitely, like our our recruiters are 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 the ones making the money for our armed forces. Because without them, we cannot continue mission, right? So we need we we encourage them to continue doing what they're doing because there's a they're a critical and vital role on what they do. Um, there's long hours. I know plenty of my NCOs. They've been selected. Um, uh, right now, I just interviewed two 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 interviews ago. One of the uh, recruiters that he used to be my NCO, and, and I know they're working hard, but what they do is not going away. It's not going from granted. We appreciate what they're doing, so we encourage them to do what what they're doing as a as a recruiting uh, for all the branches, not only for the Marines, but I'm talking about across the armed forces. So, yes. so let's transition from company grade officer now to field grade officer. So how, how was that transition for you coming like from like junior grade officer, company grade now to a field grade? And then I think the next job for you was expeditionary branch officer in charge. 
at the Marine Corps Logistic Operations Group. Can you speak about that? Yeah, no, I mean, most of the tours have been correlated, right? It was one after another and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and continuously and, and, and built from one to another. But the challenges of going in from being a company-grade officer to a field-grade officer is basically the way that you detach yourself a little bit from uh, being the helicopter officer, right? Uh, <clears throat> now becomes more as to you said the you said the orders you you tell people what they're going to do or what we need to get them done like to get done for the mission or for the requirements, and then you give them a lot more more rope, right? So you go from doing to a little bit more leading and managing. Uh, so it's it's really important that we as leaders we develop our junior officers to understand that we can trust in our service members. We can trust on our enlisted. We can trust on our warrant officer. And we can trust on our junior officers. Uh, regardless of what's going on, we're always going to struggle with that, right? Because we're going to have more experience to a certain degree and more knowledge on certain things. And we're going to want is like, oh, if I get it done right now, or if I need to just do it, it's going to take me five minutes. And this guy is with the scout. It's taking them an hour. I cannot believe it. But it's part of the development. It's part of the teaching. It's part of the mentorship, right? So if I do it, they won't get to do it. They won't get an opportunity to do those things. And they won't get an opportunity to make mistakes and learn from them. So the transition from a company grade to a field grade is really critical for the development of that officer, but at the same time in development, personal development. So we got to take a step back to be able to teach the next generation that if something happens to me, you're going to be okay because you already learned through mistakes and experiences and opportunities that I've provided you. So I would say that that would be the number one thing that I would tell people is trust them, believe in, and then provide some course correction if there's something that, you know, is not getting done correctly or the things that you're expecting or there's a misunderstanding. But if something is not getting done correctly, don't think that that is because the individual, for the most part, right, uh, is doing it because they don't want to do it mm -hmm. or they don't know how to do it. It might be the way that I communicate it or I ask them to do something that might be different. And maybe I was not clear enough to, to, on, on what I was asking. So I will say uh, that will be the biggest lesson. But when it comes down to expeditionary and Marine Corps logistics and everything else, it has been just kind of like similar, right? Different lessons, dif different opportunities, different, different thoughts that develop because it's part of learning and making mistakes. And if we tolerate a little bit of the mistakes, as long as it's once or twice, um, we're going to be okay. Right, because that is going to get us better later on when when we need to perform without making mistakes. Yes, sir. And, and again, like like you mentioned, like your career has been all nested, right? So you're going from one place to another, and it's being interlocked. It is great to see how you pass from all these experiences, and you continue to grow as a leader in the Marines. Uh, let's let's not pass the focus back. You were back in Nicaragua, and now you're all the way in Japan, right? So it is great how we can see your, your transformation throughout uh, the Marine Corps. Now, I see in your, in your profile that you serve as an integrated missile defense watch commander and a global ballistic missile defense training education exercise director. Can you can you speak like uh, what that job entails and then what was your biggest challenge uh, in that job? Well, there's a lot of things that I can share about that job, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Just, uh, Whatever you can share, like uh, overall, not specific. So, but I will say it's just uh, it was my joint tour, okay. learning to work okay. with uh, gotcha. airmen and learning to work with soldiers and learning to you know sailors, 
and it was not even a challenge. It was just a learning experience, right? Mm -hmm. The different cultures, the different opportunities, the different way that we see the world. Um, but I won't tell you that it's a challenge that mm -hmm. that that those tours. I think it was more of a learning opportunity. I got to see different aspects from the different services that to this day help me because I'm back in a joint environment, but I'm not in a joint building, but I'm interacting with all those services and I know what they're going through because of what I did in that tour and who I met and who mentored me because there were all sixes and all fives mm -hmm. and GS14s and GS15 that took the time to once again, help me and talk about professional development and personal development and opportunities out there for the military. Um, and opportunity for the civilian sector. So I won't, I won't say that when I served for IMD, um, it was a challenge. I think it was more learning opportunities and learning more about myself mm -hmm. and learning more about others. So it was a great, great experience. Yeah, it's because it's a joint uh, tour, right? So for those listening, the all armed forces are working for one goal. And then like we have to communicate one each other understand how Marines communicate and understand how the Army, although we have similarities, sometimes the lingo are, is different, right? So we're talking about something, we have to come <laughs> together. It's like, uh, you're speaking about X, Y, and C, and then in the Army, we like to short everything, like, oh, I, I assume in Marines too, right? So we just yeah. like short everything, and then we use acronym for everything. Every time you go to a new job, you're trying to speak the lingo and talk about, I don't know, so yeah, you have to go to the dictionary. And go by, okay, you're talking about this, and then we have to communicate. I bet that's yeah, the yeah. challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, okay, and then I, I'm going to picture time now, right? So I'm going to show you a picture here. Uh, let me know this one. So speak about the significance about this picture. Significance about this picture, I ended up, uh, you know, uh, retiring my best friend in the Marine Corps uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm doing the speech right here, um, doing his retirement speech after, you know, he gets his award and I get to see his family again and, and we get to talk, right? And I was really emotional doing that picture and just happened that a photographer took that picture and with the flags in the background. I love that picture. Not only because I, I got to retire my, my best friend, but also because it signifies a lot, right? Uh, a lot of where I came from. And the, you know, and you have the American flag in the background, you have the Marine Corps flag and you have all the state flags. So I love that picture just because it shows, at least for me in my mind, uh, what we're defending, what is it that we're doing and why we're doing it and, and the significance of retiring my best friend, right? So at one point or other is uh, I'm gonna retire, right? It's mm -hmm. sooner than later uh, mm -hmm. with the number of years that I have mm -hmm. and, um, it's just going to be one of those pictures that I'm going to, I'm going to frame and I'm always going to have that because that is what we do it, right? That we do it for the United States. We do it for our service. We do it for our families mm -hmm. and we're doing it for the American people. And, and I love that picture because of that. Yeah, it is a great, and it's great to hear the story that you, you were able to actually retire one of your best friends from the Arsha service. Uh, you know, we, we meet a lot of friends and, and we make them families across this uh, service uh, in the Army, Marines, Navy, Coast Guard, everywhere, and, and, and now. So when we retired, a friend of us is like, okay, so I think I'm next soon. So <laughs> I'm getting there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so now 
back in Japan now. So that's that's where you at right now. So back in Japan. So you yes. are the G four um right now for the more assistant chief of staff, G four for Marine Forces Japan. How yeah. how how you like that job now that you're in Japan and and supporting the force as a logistician? I love it. I love it. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of Marines that are working really hard. A lot of sailors and, and soldiers and, and coast guardsmen and everybody. Right? They're working hard uh, in the in the Pacific, where the tip of the spear. They're the tip of the spear. I'm just in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, so they they're working hard. And I'm trying to facilitate whatever I can to make sure that they're able to do their training exercises and they're able to do, um, you know, their mission and, and and prepare for anything that might come, right? And um, so I love this. I love Japan. I love the people. The culture is amazing. They're friendly. They're respectful, you know, and, uh, you know, everything is, is thankful, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, thank you for doing this. And, you know, they greet you, in a, you know, with a thank you and they, they, they say thank you at the end. And, and it's something that it shows that that something that I really love about the culture, right? Thank you for being here and mm -hmm. thank you for coming. Right. And and it allows you to appreciate everybody's time, allows you to appreciate everybody's contribution, collaboration. It mm -hmm. allows you to appreciate what everybody brings to the table. And I love that. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for anyone that is out there that, you know, that is interested. There's great opportunities in the Pacific. Uh, you know, I know that is uh, challenging. I know that is away from the United States and mm -hmm. three years or three years or one year is, is a long time away from families. But, um, you know, we we need you, especially if you're a Marine. Don't hesitate to come and volunteer to come to the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a great assignment. Uh, I have here uh, my I'm actually my my sister. She's married to an airman. Uh, she's stationed right now in Germany, but they were in Japan, in Okinawa. Uh, they spent like five years in Okinawa and, and they love Okinawa and the Japan uh, culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I did not have the opportunity to visit them in Japan, which I regret. So at one point I want to go to Japan, <laughs> definitely, and visit the culture in Japan. So, but it's awesome. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, uh, sushi and, and the food and the noodles and ramen. I mean, it's <laughs> delicious food, right? So it's, it's great all around, all yeah. around. Yeah, and then I'm gonna show you. I think this is picture time. Like the last picture, and then we're gonna start transitioning to other uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So speak about out. yeah, speak about this significant picture, sir. It was around the time that uh, Iron Man and Captain America were showing up, right, and uh, uh -huh. movies and stuff. And I went to a family day, not a family day. I was TAD for something else, but I saw that there was a family day going on outside the building. So I decided to go outside, and I ran into these two Marines that. You know, I never got their names, but a Marine is dressed as a, as a Captain American and the other is dressed as an Ironman, nice. right? And and I decided that I wanted to get a picture. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took a picture with them and they were doing it for their kids. And so it's kind of weird, right? Like, it's feel great. It's like, hey, I want to take a picture with, with you too, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it was great. And I love this picture. So most of the time I'm like, hey, uh, my friends are superheroes, right? And uh, nice. whenever I make that joke or whenever I say those things, I make sure to show that picture. So whenever I went for a feel great of the year uh, or they, you know, for Stratcom, uh, they said, they send some a picture that, that you really like. And I send that picture in and they put it, <laughs> they put it out there. Uh, and good. then uh, there good. was another, another event that I did. It was like uh, Hispanic Heritage Month or something. I can't remember what it was. 
And I asked him to pull that picture and that picture went back up there. So I it's one of those pictures that I, I really like and it's really fun and it brings a little bit of the childhood back and you know, superheroes and and we never stop being kids. We we might forget yep. sometimes that yep. at one point we can laugh and have fun, but we never stop being kids for something that inspires us to yeah. To go so back. so it's great to see that the, the the leaders can have fun too. It's not only operation go 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 go. Sometimes we have to step back and 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 let that kid out. And, and yeah. you know what I mean, so yeah. I th I think that's part of the 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 story out here. So, yeah. uh, so, okay, sir. So let's transition now. You're not only the G4 uh, assistant staff, assistant chief of staff G4 from the Marine Force of Japan. You always, you are also the ANSO president and, and the people, um, everyone that's watching this podcast, they can see your title. Can you start introducing, yeah. can you explain what is the ANSO, what's the mission, what the core values and, and what they stand for? Well, Association of Naval Services Officers, right? And you see the logo there, you see the title. Um, it's basically, it was established back in the 1980s, right? And we didn't have enough officers who of Hispanic descent in the senior ranks, right? Uh, and we didn't have as much in the enlisted ranks for, for a while. Uh, things have changed, but not in the officer ranks. But uh, most importantly, we didn't have that mentorship, that engagement. So this association was built or created to do that, to change that. And the mission since then has been uh, to support the Sea Service Chiefs, right? Uh, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Chief Naval Operations for the Navy, um, you know, the Commandant for the, you know, for the uh, Coast Guard, the Merchant Marines, and, and it's basically support their mission and their efforts to, in their recruitment, retention, mentoring, and advancement of Latinos, Latinas in the Sea Services. Right, so this association was for that, um, and it has evolved, it has created, but it continued their vision. And when we start looking at what we have and what we've done, is that this uh, association assists in the mentorship and the retention and the returning of the, the, the Latinos, Latinas, Hispanic community, mm -hmm. for them to return to the Hispanic community. Uh, so, but it also is all a, all, all inclusive, mm -hmm. and we also have affiliates membership, right, which means for the Army and the Space Force and the Air Force. Mm -hmm. So this is not just about sea services overall, but this is also about ensuring that we provide a platform or a place where Latinos, Latinas, Hispanics can come in and gain some personal and professional development, get some mentorship, show them opportunities that the military has to offer for those high school kids and middle school kids. And even for those that do not join the service, we provide some you know, personal development and mentorship, right? So they don't have to join the service. They just gotta be in those CROTC units and and seek for mentorship and we're there to support. In the long runs, we, right now, we're doing two symposiums, right? One symposium that it happens in May to July timeframe. This time around, we're doing July 29th to, to August. Mm -hmm. And then the second in, in Norfolk, Virginia, which is in the East Coast, and then the second one we do is in the West Coast that usually goes in the first week of December, right? We also support Latina style with the Latina Distinguished Award in September. We provide, we have chapters in different cities uh, that provides that mentorship and that engagement and that networking opportunities as well. And we encourage, um, we encourage everyone to join us, right? Uh, if you're Latino, Latina, a, uh, come join us. Uh, but also remember that we're all inclusive and and if you want to come in, come and join us and uh, 
and and we're never going to kick anybody out, right? So if you want to learn and you want to be exposed to our culture, our mentorship, our professional development and personal development opportunities and everything else, come join us. Um, and just now, right, uh, I look at the votes because we put on the board director for vote and you're going to be one of our board directors, right? So uh, that that is a significant impact for us yeah. because it shows that as a community, we're willing to support each other. But uh, and so it's really important out there uh, is it's making different changes. It's, it's developing, it's improving, it's getting better. It's, it's, it's trying, you know, we're trying to make some different changes so that we can improve the association. Uh, it's going to take time, but we're going to get there. And uh, but right now we're increasing the membership, we're increasing the involvement, we're increasing the volunteers, mm -hmm. and we're never going to turn any volunteers down. And uh, if anybody wants to be a mentor, a mentor, a volunteer, they can reach out uh, uh, via the uh, website that you see on the bottom of the screen. Mm -hmm. But uh, I believe in the association. I believe in the mission. I believe in the vision. I believe on 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 supporting and defending our country. And this association provides a platform for all of us to be able to to learn from each other. Yeah. So so <laughs> thank you, sir. And, and I'm honored uh, and humbled to to be selected and be part of the of the team now. Uh, for those that's listening right now, um, Lieutenant Colonel Montalban approached me. Um, he saw my product. He saw the service journal before it used to be Nuestra Gente en la Fuerza Armada, but uh, we transitioned to the service journal to be more like, again, inclusivity, inclusivity right? So we, we focus on Latinos at first in my platform, but then we open it to everyone in the armed forces. And now I'll be joining in, in a soon to be a new podcast for the ANSO. We're going to be leading. So if you want to hear more about that, so I'm going to put all the, all the links below here in this video. You can actually go to www.ansomil.org and then you can find more information about that. And I think it's a great, great opportunity for people that are looking for mentorship. Um, I know we, the, the, the people that are doing this in social media, we can impact others without even us noticing it. We can, we can reach a lot of, of people without and be a group, good models to people that are looking for us because I experienced that from, from personal experiences. Um, and then I said, so in, in like, what about volunteer time? So it, any volunteer time counts for the MOBSM or the military awards uh, service if uh, soldiers or seamen or Marines want to do voluntary time for ANSO? Yeah, it does. And uh, we're willing to write letters, right? Saying the number of hours that you put in and the number of months that, you know, you mm -hmm. have participated in volunteer and uh, there's specific requirements, right, for the uh, Volunteer, outstanding volunteer service medal, mm -hmm. service, right? So I don't get to dictate if you earned a medal or not. I just got to be able to submit a letter mm -hmm. telling you the hours and months that you participated. Uh, but we're willing to do that for anyone that volunteers at a chapter level. Okay. Anyone that wants to assist us in different levels, we're willing to do that and, and make sure that uh, your volunteer hours go towards your servers and for your record, right? Because it's one of our biggest mm -hmm. things is that we provide benefit to the community and we assist our community because it represents us, it represents mm -hmm. our service, mm -hmm. and uh, it re represents what we do best, right? Uh, encourage others and assist them and, and try to build a better community for when we return to it. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome opportunity for, for those that are looking for to, 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 to actually record their volunteers' uh, time. Because um, I, I, I know in the Army, sometimes, it, well, it counts for promotion points if, if you actually volunteer. Not only that, they give you more experiences, 
out you're building your resume uh if you go to linkedin for example you can put your volunteer uh, you know time and it shows and that you care about the community and we can close that bridge between the armed forces and the actual community that we represent uh and, and answer is a great platform to to actually start doing this yes yes Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, promote. And so uh, since we're going to start doing this again, he said the Association of Naval Service Officer. I'm a captain uh, in the U.S. Army. But again, we're trying to merge all the branches all together, not only for the Naval, but now the Army and the Air Force and the Space Force. We're going to continue promoting this. Now, sir, okay, so I think we're just about to to be closing. I'm going to ask you yeah. a, a couple more questions. Um, now. How you can actually uh, balance your family time with your work time? Uh, how you can how you balance it? How you can advise to those that are listening right now um, on this podcast? Uh, well, I would I would go back and say that there's no such thing as balancing. Mm -hmm. It's priority, right? It's, you got to prioritize mm -hmm. whenever you have to prioritize. There's times that you're gonna have to prioritize work or family, mm -hmm. and sometimes you got to prioritize family over work. And you just got to find a balance so that you can keep it going back and forth, back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. So that way, it's as much as a balance as you can call it, but it's not just as easy as saying it's a balance, right? Mm -hmm. You got to make sure that you work towards it, and you got to make sure that you uh, prioritize the significant events and make sure that you don't miss events that you're never going to get an opportunity to see, uh, see again, right? Uh, if there's a graduation, if there's a birthday party, if there's something that your kids or your family or whoever in the family is experiencing or is going through, you're never going to get the opportunity to relive that moment. And even if you video record it, it's not the same, right? The being present is the one that is the biggest. But at the same time, if you have to miss it uh, because of a deployment or because something significant that is going to work, then you prioritize that over the, you know, whatever is going on. Just at a minimum, I would say, make sure that you videotape it, you acknowledge the event. And, uh, but, you, you know, as we're going, you know, as we go higher and higher, there's certain things that are going to be responsible for. We're going to have different requirements and different responsibilities that it's going to take work. So time management is critical. And as you develop as a leader, or as a person, as a husband, as a, as, a, as a father, time management is what is going to make you or break you, right? So uh, that is one of the things that we help out. We talk through on, on the symposiums and we emphasize those things. So that way people take it into account. But I challenge anyone that listens to this podcast to come up and when you call somebody, uh, say, how you doing? And they start talking about work that you say, no, 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 I'm talking about you, how you do. Mm -hmm. So that way they they build that relationship and that, that, that funness of supporting each other and asking questions about us before we start work talking about work, right? So care about the individual so that way we can prevent uh, any challenges, any issues, because then you're able to provide advice and mentorship, right? But um, caring about our soldiers, Marines, sailors, Coast Guardsmen, and everything else is great. But us as leaders got to go back and also spend some time in asking those questions from our junior officers. And somebody should be asking them of us. Uh, so if we do that, it's going to come out and highlight some of the events that you might be wanting to miss that someone else said, no, no, no. You are not missing this. You got to go and support your family. You got to go support your kids. You got to support whatever it is. So our leadership is critical for us to ensure that our our service members do not miss opportunities that are never going to come back. Yes, sir. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, 
hundred percent and everything you said. Uh, I, I, again, it's not a balance. We have to sometimes prioritize prioritize some something over other things. Uh, but yeah, so so you have to you know again look on on what your priorities are in the moment, and then you have to talk to your leadership about it, and then like always have a mentor. Like if you're in doubt mm -hmm. and you don't know where to go. Uh, you're reaching a wall you, you can actually reach out and then like always look out and then uh, find an outlet that can help you to navigate through the process whether it's going to be personal or uh, um, professional I, I will say yes. uh, and then yes. what advice would you give to young uh, members or service members that are watching this podcast or listening to, to this podcast that they aspire to follow a career similar to you to your career what, what, what advice final advice you give to them it's not easy, right? It's never going to be easy. Nothing is free. Nothing is given. And I'm going to say it in Spanish, right? Nadie te va a dar nada por tu cara linda. Nada te va a dar a ti gratis por nada. Tienes que trabajar. You're going to have to work. Vas a tener que estar dedicado. You're going to have to be dedicated to the mission and to the requirements and stay focused, right? Uh, there's uh, going to be all the distractions and all the challenges and different things. And don't be discouraged, right? So number one thing that I would tell um, and I've been asked this question a couple of times and it took, took me a little bit to like make sure that I was concise and clear. And I'll tell you, there's the number one is don't be discouraged, right? Uh, set your goals, set your goals, define your goals and go after them. You got to go after them. If you don't come up and you say, well, these are my goals, these are my dreams, but you don't go after them, you're never going to. They're just going to continue to be dreams. So define your goals and go after them. Number two and don't be afraid to ask for assistance and help, right? Uh, we we have this tendency that we think that asking for help and assistance is weakness, and that's not that's far from the truth. And asking for assistance and 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 support or help during the time of need or when you don't know something is actually a, a strength. It's something you demonstrating that you're strong enough and you know who you are enough to be able to ask somebody else for assist, assistance, right, and help. And lastly, there's going to be challenges and struggles and obstacles, and you're going to fail, and you are going to fail, and you're going to make mistakes, and I still make mistakes, and I still uh, have to learn from them, right? But don't be discouraged. Continue to learn from them. Continue to, to become a little bit better and try not to make the same mistakes over and over again. And if you prevent them from happening or you reduce the number of mistakes that you make, you're going to be progressing. Every day is an opportunity to either get better stay the same or just regress. So those will be the three things that I will tell you um, that are critical for someone that wants to make uh, a life, not only in the military, but also in the civilian sector, because it doesn't change. Those three things are, are important either in the military, in the civilian sector, or out of the country, or in the country, or as an immigrant, or as a U.S. citizen. So it really doesn't matter who you are, who, where you come from, or where you're, you're going. It's, you got to make sure that you do those three things. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for those words of wisdom. For I know a lot of listeners will, will appreciate. Uh, they're seeking for that mentorship. Uh, sometimes, again, I wanna wanna emphasize that if you reaching a wall, just look for mentorship and or network as well, and, and and they'll help you navigate through whatever process you are. Sir, for the last yes. comments, uh, again, what's the symposiums for the answer? Yes, you can actually uh, say that again. So for the listeners, for the answer symposiums. Yeah, it's uh, July 29th to 2 August for this year in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and uh, the Navy, the Coast Guard, and the Marines are going to be sponsoring 
uh, Marines and sailors and coasties to attend. The Army, if you're in the, the vicinity, uh, there's membership for that and there opportunity for you to register to come. Um, you know, Space Force and Air Force as well, anywhere you are, uh, obviously the services are not sponsoring, but we'll welcome you to the symposium. Uh, the one in December is December 2nd through the 6th in San Diego, California. Or in the vicinity of, we still haven't identified the facility and the location, but we're going to get there. Uh, but we know the dates, right, that, that we're aiming to, to conduct the symposium. And then we have September 19th when Tina style in Washington, D.C. And there's a couple other events that uh, happens during the chapter's uh, events. And we're putting them in social social media. We're putting them in uh, the ENSO uh, uh, Instagram. We're putting them in ENSO LinkedIn. We're putting them in ENSO uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I'm sharing it in my Instagram. Right? So there's uh, there's different ways that you can find out about the chapters events that are going on. And, and if you become a member, you can also, you're going to be getting newsletters and, and all that information. So there's many ways, but uh, to close it out, I, I would say this, right? Uh, thank you for having me. This is, uh, was a great opportunity. I had a great fun. Like I had a lot of fun talking to you. <laughs> okay. I look forward to working with you as uh, <laughs> as uh, and so body of director member. Uh, for those who are out there, uh, you know, muchas gracias por estar con nosotros este día. Es, uh, es bien bonito aquí. Uh, es bien bonito en la casa que tenemos. Y, y aprecio que hayan tenido un tiempo para escucharnos, para vernos. Y, y por favor, uh, sigan haciendo lo que están haciendo, trabajando duro, uh, haciendo lo que tienen que hacer para defender este país y defender a, a la, la población que tenemos, todos nuestros americanos, a todos nuestros latinos, y toda la gente que vive en los Estados Unidos. Uh, as we go through, right, uh, I want to say to every service member that is listening, thank you for what you're doing. Um, we might not think, and we have things that we might be have, you know, we might have to improve across the services, but we're still the top, you know, the top military in the world. And when we come together as a team in a joint environment, our enemies tremble and we got to know that. Mm -hmm. But the only way that we can continue that is by working together, collaborating and cooperating with each other and supporting each other. And I say, go out to recruiting, go out to support each other, go assist, go make this country better, right? Do not just let it take it, you know, take it for, for what it's worth, right? But don't just let it go. Don't just think that just focusing on you is enough. We got to go there, advise, help out our communities so that we can get better. We got to help those kids because those kids are our future. Don't ever underestimate our E1s, E2s, E3s, O1s, O2s, OE3s, because they're coming from a different environment with creative ideas and more of a desire to make a difference. Um, so I love working with young um you know, service members and officers because they challenge me and they challenge all of us. So don't ever, don't let it go. But I will say once again, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. The stories and the things that I share about my stories, not only mine, it's, not, it's unique to me, but it's not unique to our countries. There's thousands and thousands of Latinos and Latinas and immigrants overall out there that experience something similar to mine, you know, in regardless of services as the police department, medical field, they're out there and they're contributing to this nation. And when we're walking around, hold your head high because you are making this country better, regardless of what you might hear, regardless of the negative things, you are contributing to this country. 
and and I love being a Latino. I love being a Hispanic. I love being an immigrant, and I love being an American. And most importantly, I'm honored and privileged to be a military officer in your you know Department of Defense, and and I'm here to support anyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, background, gender, whatever you want to call it. I'm here to support every single one of y'all. Just reach out and 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 I'll be there. But thank you so much, Semper Fi. Uh, and uh, I'm here. Raw. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Great words. Uh, for those that want to know more information, I'm going to post all the descriptions on, uh, in the description, all the links. I'm going to post uh, Anzo's uh, Instagram, my Instagram. You can reach out to us. You want to participate in everything, let us know. We put you in the pocket, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you for, for the time and looking forward to work with you in the near time. And soon, uh, March is going to be our, our first Anzo. So stay tuned for those that want to actually follow. I'm going to close out here. Oh, so, hey, so that's all for today's episode with Lieutenant Colonel Jose Luis Montalban. A big thank you uh, to him for joining us and sharing his incredible story of service and leadership. Uh, it's people like him who inspire us to be better and recognize the sacrifice made by those in the military. Thank you, our listener, our listener for tuning in. We hope you found inspiration and insight in today's talk. Today's talk. Remember, each one of us can make a difference in our own way. Make us subscribe, uh, like, subscribe this channel to the Service Journal for more stories like this. I'm Manuel Calo, and it's been a pleasure being with you. Until next time, take care and keep supporting our service member. Let's go. Bruh.